So the title of our lesson this week is The Gospel's Goal, and it's from Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 3. And the aim says that it's spiritual transformation that we're after, spiritual transformation, and that that's actually one of the goals of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that we would be all made like Jesus. Jesus is sent the Holy Spirit so we could be transformed into his image. That journey is a process called sanctification. And we've been talking about Paul, so he's been helping us figure out how to be saints. Remember, being a saint is just being a Christian that is set apart. You're automatically a saint when you set yourself apart by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. So in our mortal existence... We are sanctified as we draw closer to our Savior, but we still are existing in our mortal body that is plagued with a sin nature. And so while we want to be perfect, we still sin. And so that's why Paul really encourages the Colossian church today to work toward maturity, to work toward that less propensity for sin, And so that's what we're going to work on today is looking like that. So the Holy Spirit dwells in believers, and he convicts our hearts of our sin. Thank goodness. And much like an expert goes into a home that's really cluttered and helps them push aside the clutter and figure out how to get rid of things they don't need, the Holy Spirit begins a process of sanctification at our conversion And he begins to convict us one by one, not overwhelming us, but just to convict us in the areas that we need to work on in our sin. And so Jesus doesn't do it the modern self-help way. You know, you've heard about all the self-help mantras out there, all the ways that you can get to be that thing that people are trying to be. You know, you can buy the self-help book that promotes you, that makes you better than ever. It's all about you, about your your becoming the rock star that you can be. Maybe you've seen those self-improvement books and self-love focuses, but that's really not how Jesus approaches that whole situation. So one of the first things Jesus did in his ministry as he began to ask disciples to follow him Um, He had many who were following him, but there were some that he appointed to be with him through the journey. And as he was going, pulling those people toward him, he began to teach them and the crowds around him about what it would look like to be part of the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like after you repent. So just like John the Baptist, he preached repentance, turn around change your mind, do something different. And so that was where people were. They had turned around. They repented of their sin. So now he wants to help us just like he helped them with our attitude. So right away, the the Gospel of Matthew tells us of a Sermon on the Mount. Maybe many of you are familiar with that. It's called the Beatitudes, the Attitudes of Christ where he gathered people up on a mountaintop where he could see them and they could see him and they were all sitting around being taught. And he could look straight into their hearts, straight into where they were going to need some help. 
And so as he looked down in that beautiful setting, the gospel was his objective. It was his objective that we who have received the good news would understand how to become mature, how to be sanctified. And so that's what Paul's talking to us about today, too. And so as he looked out, he looked at the people's hearts and he said, happy, blessed, favored is the one who is poor in spirit. Now, that isn't a real modern conversation to have with somebody. I would like for you to be poor in spirit because it's the very opposite of having pridefulness in your life. But to be poor in spirit is to recognize that you are so sinful, that you are so not okay, that it took Jesus dying on a cross to rectify that problem. And in in understanding that, then your attitude is in gratefulness. You are poor in spirit. You recognize who God of the universe is, that he allowed you to be part of the kingdom That's a big deal. To be poor in spirit is to understand that we're not all that. We're so sorry for our sin. The next beatitude is really similar. He says the kingdom of heaven is ours if we are poor in spirit. That brings us in. It's actually the starting point. Because remember, repentance is based on understanding you're a sinner. It's the starting point that we come into the kingdom poor in spirit, recognizing We just don't deserve grace. We don't deserve anything. We are great sinners. But then he says that you also are going to get a blessing, be favored, if you mourn for that sin. Well, we just said you were poor in spirit. Now he wants us to mourn over it. But when you mourn over something, it really is meaningful in your life. Think about the sadness that we feel when we grieve. Jesus wants us to grieve our sin. He wants us to understand that we need to do better than that. And a little bit of our modern American problem is that we don't grieve our sin. We just don't get it. We don't understand that just that little sin, that little lie, that little thing that we consider little separated us from holy God and made us not fit for the kingdom. And that when we are able to let that go and be poor in spirit and we grieve that, it sets our attitude to the right place. It helps us know our place. And then Holy God can make us right. That's good news. That's how we get mature. That's what sanctifies us. And then Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They really look like Jesus. Jesus wasn't a pushover. If you read the gospel, you will see that he confronted people with their sin. He didn't let people get away with sin. He stood up to power. But he was God, and it was controlled power, because he could have just obliterated anybody at any moment, but he didn't. And we as Christians stand with resurrection power, and we too can't just snap our fingers. We shouldn't use our power over people. Meekness is recognizing that God wants us to do it Jesus' way. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be humble. And that that honey will draw more flies than our 
superpower dominating people. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Do you realize how easy it is to be merciful when somebody has given you mercy? When somebody forgives you, it's a lot easier for you to forgive them. We have been shown great mercy. God loves us. He is merciful to us. So the beatitude isn't just to be merciful to all the people who need mercy. That is definitely a great attitude to live by. But it's really also to understand where the mercy comes from, that you wouldn't even have it were it not for the mercy that's been expended on you. Jesus said, blessed, favored, happy are the peacemakers, for you will get peace. So there it is, the progression of what happens when the gospel transforms you. Forgivers are merciful. And guess what? That actually makes you healthier because your body does a whole lot better when you're not consumed with strife and discord and all that that does to your gut and to your internal being, to your stress hormones, to all the things that will destroy you physically. Jesus says Christian character reflects the power of the cross, so we will be merciful because he has been merciful to us. And then he says, blessed, favored are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You came to Sunday school today. You want to learn about God. You study his word. And that brings you sustenance for the week. Jesus taught during his ministry that you need to desire him and that it's like eating. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. This is exactly how we become sanctified. We partake of his word every week. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. How are you pure in heart? When you focus on him. When it's not the disdainful things of this earth that you're spending all your time on, but you're focused on his word, that you love him. Just like last week's lesson when it says, whatsoever is true and holy and good, think on these things. These attitudes are part of your sanctification. They make you holy. They make you reflect the character of Jesus. And that takes us to our first passage this morning, Colossians 1, 24 through 27. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Diane. So Paul begins with how it is he is willing to suffer for Christ. He says, I'm willing to suffer. Jesus suffered, I'm willing to suffer. It's a natural extension of our sanctification process. And yes, the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus went straight there. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. For so were persecuted the prophets who went before you. Jesus was persecuted, Paul was persecuted, and many today and tomorrow 
yesterday, today, and tomorrow will be persecuted. There's more people being persecuted right now than ever in the earth's known time. And it's for the cause of Christ. Paul realized that we're not all necessarily willing to suffer, so he is more than willing, he says, to take up the slack on that in the afflictions as an example to us. Jesus says that when you're persecuted, you're aligning yourself with God's best. The good news, the gospel, is a message that must be spoken and shared, and it might not be popular in the place that you are, and people might not appreciate it. In our time, words are being judged every day to the point of cancellation. You can be canceled for the words you say. But that's when probably what more than likely persecution is going to begin to look like in the church, that there's going to be more and more persecution from the world as the church stands as a beacon of light on the truth that Jesus has given us in his gospel. You know, leaders from all the ages have tried to cancel out this good news. They haven't wanted to hear that Jesus was the exclusive way to God. That's offensive to so many, but powerful people have tried to stop the free expression of the gospel to no avail. Wars have been taken care of. It They've um, been won and lost, really, on the protection of the freedom of religion. Testimonies come out of people who have been persecuted. And testimonies are what Paul is speaking of. Um, my sister and I used to speak of going to women of faith conferences, and both of us would say, I don't want a testimony. I don't want to be like those people. Because terrible, awful things had happened to them. We just wanted to be okay to, to celebrate Jesus without having to go through that event, that test that you would be moaning about for the rest of your life. But that isn't how life works. We all get a testimony. I remember the testimonies of the Romanians when I was on a mission trip, and it would just break your heart. We were there in the summer, and so we celebrated July the 4th with them, and they so celebrated our freedom because it was freedom of religion. And they sat around and they told us the stories of their relatives who had been killed for being Christians. Anyone who was associated with the church in any known way was just murdered. They took animals into their worship, places of worship and they desecrated their places of worship. They made them become the place that they would store the horses and the cows. Anything they could do to dis... Um, honor God and to help people be afraid to ever think about worshiping holy God was their intention. They were so happy to celebrate freedom of religion with the Americans. And truly those that they saw martyred are today honored with the prophets in heaven. Because that's what happens. There's special honor in heaven for those who are martyred. So Paul's testimony was out of persecution. And one day he was going to join the ranks of those who were martyred. And it was out of persecution that he said he still wanted to proclaim the gospel. And he said that 
the gospel is actually a mystery that's been hidden for all the ages. Paul, remember, was a certified Jew, and he really understood the Pharisee of all Pharisees. The idea that the Jews had that that God was just for them, just for their nation. But the mystery was that never was. There was always a scarlet red thread throughout the whole Old Testament that God planned salvation for all the earth. And that Israel was just to be a light to the nations. Paul reminds us that Jesus lives in us and that he provides us with the hope of glory. So the mystery was there all along from the beginning. God provided for all people hope. And hope is what drives us. The future is glorious when you hang on to God's hope. We will be with Christ despite the persecution of this world. And that is what gets people through persecution. Our next passage is Colossians 1, 28 through 29. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Thank you. So the good news has to be preached, and the more mature we are, the better we are at God's attitudes, the more that we have progressed in our sanctification process, then the more that we can understand the next sequence in the passage in Matthew 5 said, Rejoice, be glad. They persecuted the people before you, but that's okay. You're just, you've joined the right team. Then he goes on to say, be salt, be light in the darkness. We're not doing this by ourselves. The Holy Spirit is with us and we have his strength. He compares us to salt, which in its natural state is tasty and a preservative. And it's nice to think of being just like Jesus, that you're actually a preservative in this world that you come along and add some taste to life, some kindness, some gentleness, some of the Holy Spirit attributes into the daily world you live in. Paul says the work of Christ is powerful in you. You have resurrection power. My oldest son used to run cross country, and when he was in high school, and he would do marathons after he was an adult, So there was a lot of preparation for those events. He would eat a certain way, he would practice, and he would be disciplined in how much practice he would put into those events. And as he became more mature and as an athlete, it began to pay off, and he would win those races, either win or be the almost winner of many, many races. That's what attribution of sanctification is. The more we discipline ourselves, the more we work on our sanctification process, the more we spend time being like Jesus, the better we do at being made perfect. And it's always going to be a process, but God is the one doing it. So if he's the one doing it, then he's going to make us look like him as we grow in our faith. So then that takes us to our next passage, which is Colossians 2, 1 through 3. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, 
so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you. Wow. The gospel goal is to reach the world. We want to reach the world with the knowledge of Christ. I heard a minister this week on the radio speaking. So many times when you hear people speak, they, they go to the negative side of things and they speak of how much more there still is to be done. But he was speaking of how far we've come, that we are close to reaching every people group that there are millions who proclaim to be evangelical Christians, but there are many, many more millions who understand and have been touched by the gospel in some way. And so he was just pointing out that in this time of the world being made closer together with all of the different ways that we can reach people, that we are beginning to be more and more successful with that. And so the gospel is reaching the world. As Paul is describing a beautiful gift of salvation, he says he is encouraged by the Colossae Christians. He's encouraged by them. That means that the gospel has gone out. It has transformed them. And his past, their pastor has come and reported that that has happened. We get encouragement as we meet together. And I hear you speak of, things which I know make you transformed. I see you grow in Christ, and then that, that encourages me. And he says the riches of completely understanding the knowledge of Jesus Christ is like getting a treasure, like opening up a treasure box. There's something magical in a treasure box for little children, maybe for adults too, <laughs> something hidden inside there. You open it up. You're not sure what you're going to find. Maybe you have to do some digging and some clues to find what that treasure is. That's what the knowledge of Christ is. The more time you spend in his word, the more the Holy Spirit opens up a whole other area and you go, wow, I didn't understand that before. That makes sense. That really fulfills me understanding why God would do it this way. Aren't you going to have all those questions when you get to heaven? Why did you do it that way? Why did you do it the way you did, God? But we're going to understand it in the sweet by and by. All wisdom and all knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. We've had some lessons on wisdom recently. Knowledge on the other hand, is gained through experience and through our reasoning process. And both of those are good. And we don't have to throw our reasoning process out the door to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to understand this treasure. Because actually, the more we get to know him and the more we dig into his word, the more we understand that it has to be the supernatural gift of God of the universe that this is not something we could have made up. This is not something that we can even understand. Knowledge is accumulated, and we have a certain knowledge that's accumulated as we have gone on this journey together. And that's what you write in your journals, right? You write down when God answered that prayer last week or when he did that big thing for you. So that that knowledge increases and your faith increases, and then 
wisdom is how God will help you apply that, help you know when to speak up and tell that story, when it's time to be a witness, when it's time to share what Jesus has done in your life. Knowledge is at our fingertips, right? We can, with our phones, we can just grab that phone and answer any little questions. Children are very impatient nowadays to know anything. They're just saying, Mimi, just Google it. Okay, they wanna know the answers right then, big and little questions you can find really quickly on that little computer. But wisdom helps us know what is really true because unfortunately this little computer could lead us astray. The searches can lead you one direction versus another. It's not exactly the same way it used to be. Paul says wisdom can help us have the ability to discern truth. That is also part of the sanctification process. That's part of you becoming a mature Christian, that you're going to go that journey and that you're going to have the ability to discern truth. That if somebody's teaching you a Sunday school lesson, that they're telling you the truth, that they're using the word of God, that the pastor is using the word of God as he preaches to you. We have to be able to discern truth because what Paul will be continually discussing with the church of Colossae is that there are heretics among them that want to make up some new rules that want to say things like, we hear today, well, you know, Jesus, he was a good man. He was a good teacher, but that doesn't make him God. You know, I don't believe he was God, but I think he was a good man. That's direct against the word of God. And you need to run away from that teacher. <laughs> run, because they, whenever anyone goes against the person of Jesus as deity, as God, Emmanuel, God with us. They have, they have left the train. They have left the treasure. They didn't look under the top of the box to find the answers. The treasure is John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. There was a problem happened way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve broke their promise to God and decided to listen to the serpent who misquoted God and who led them to desire with their eyes and with their minds something that God had told them was forbidden. And ever since that day, all of us have had the same forbidden problem. We desire it. We have a sin nature. But God, all the way back in the beginning, knew that would happen. And he still thought it would be worth making us, that there would be a restoration, a reconciliation, that he would send his only son. That's pretty great. I don't know if you've ever made anything, but I can't think of anything I've ever made that I would think was worth putting my only son on a cross for. He desires a relationship with us. He loved us so much from the beginning that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as that trinity 
made a decision ahead of time to conquer our sin. And Jesus became our high priest. That's the treasure. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He lived on this earth. He knows what we are feeling. He has grieved. He has suffered. He has felt rejection. He has felt hunger. He has walked and been tired. He needed rest. He understands our world. So when we repent, we can turn around and then we can accept Jesus and we become part of the King's family. Now, I love that, don't you? You get to be part of the holy God of the universe's family. We are his children. We're adopted. You know, people say adopted children are loved the most because they are chosen. <laughs> Very purposely chosen. It's special to have your own child, definitely, but there's something about that adoption process that there's so much work that's put into it. God of the heavens adopted us. and We become his children. The kingdom of God is ours, and that means the power of God is in our possession. We have his resurrection power in our lives. We have good news. and We're saints, and we have a treasure that we need to take to other people. They haven't even heard of the treasure. My sister has been given a resurrection power miracle, and I've been telling everybody that will listen about it. But everybody's pretty excited to hear about it. We prayed from a miracle from that first day of dreadful news that there was some kind of cancer. And even as the diagnosis said it was stage four lung, lung cancer and already in her brain and in her bones, we prayed for relief from that devastating pain she's in, for the cure to the malignancy, and yes, for the right doctors and the right people to take care of her, the right treatments. We shared it with all the people that we cared about that loved us because we know that the family of God can pull together and then can lift up. And God takes that as a sweet aroma of prayer and worship. And we can only depend on him and lean into him as we are willing to be vulnerable and transparent and ask for what we need. It's okay to ask for a miracle. We ask for one. So as the doctor told her that the malignancy was everywhere, we still hang on. And then she went to the doctor this week. We had just had that great MRI study that said that the brain tumors were gone. He said, Joyce, another doctor wouldn't have even done the test to make sure you could have this medicine. You just weren't eligible for it. Now, that's not a coincidence. She wasn't eligible for what turned out to be the life-saving cure, but he said it was the only hope I had for you. And he was one who believes in hope, and he wanted to offer her something, so we waited 20 days for that test to come back, on the edge of having to do brain radiation. And just before, we were going to have to irradiate her brain, which she was terrified of having done, we got the report back. Yes, Joyce, you actually are eligible for this medication. And 26 days later, from taking a pill every day, not infusions, 
not losing one hair on her head. There are no brain tumors in her head. That is a miracle. And we have to put that in our book of miracles because it's not the first miracle. God does miracles every day. He's going to continue to do miracles. We have his resurrection power. And if he didn't choose to do this, he would have walked us through whatever happened because we have his resurrection power. It's not a coincidence when he does a miracle, though. You have to celebrate it, and you have to use it as an opportunity to witness because people forget. Somehow religion becomes something that should be ho-hum and just standard and... They forget this is supernatural. This isn't anything explainable. Salvation's not explainable. The love behind salvation's not explainable. That someone would love you enough to put their son on a cross for your meanness, just not explainable. God loves us more than we love each other and we love because we are made like him we've been sanctified we're in the process of being like him but we'll never get as close to his love as he is but he's got us all cleaned up and sanctified in front of the father praise be to god we have jesus christ the hope of glory so go and teach and share the hope of glory this week. We are entering in a season where you have lots of opportunities. You can tell the story of the miracle that you heard. I love telling the stories of the miracles. I said the story so many times of the story of little Gabriella. I tell the story of people who have miracles. People understand they gravitate to that. They want to hear about supernatural God who cares about us because what they've heard about him is that he's just like a grandfather up there and he's standing by and just letting the world just go to pieces. That's not the truth. The truth is salvation. It's Jesus Christ. He is the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. We don't understand, but we don't get past knowing that this is just beyond our comprehension, that the transformation you're making in us is supernatural. As we journey in our journey for sanctification, as you make us mature, Lord, we are sorry for our sin. We grieve over it. We want to be merciful to other people. Lord, make us merciful. Make us stand out in this world. And Jesus, we will give you all the honor and the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you.